Before I get into the quarterback review for this week, I think it's important to mention this. Whatever happens this year, the Seahawks need a quarterback of the future. Geno Smith has started the season very, very well, but he's going to face much harder challenges than the Falcons and the Lions defensive units coming up, starting with the New Orleans Saints on Sunday. But he has shown that he's the man for the moment. He's also 32 next Monday. You are not kicking the can down the road at quarterback because Gino Smith has had a good start to the season. It might be that he can reasonably continue as the starter next year if you want to redshirt a young quarterback, but he's not the answer for the next 10 to 5 years, and you need to find someone who is. That's just the reality of the NFL. The 2023 draft class dictates this too. There simply aren't the great blue-chip defensive players in this class, apart from Will Anderson. When I read mock drafts at the moment, it's clear that people they're just struggling to put them together. They're struggling to find those guys who deserve to be in the top 10, not just on defense. You've really got Will Anderson, the quarterbacks, and that's it. So the top 10 defenders are simply not there. What you do have, though, are, in my opinion, about four quarterbacks you can justify taking early. So there's no reason to force the issue. Get your guy for the future next year when you've got those draft picks. You could potentially move up if you want to, but you can make sure that you get your guy. And then you're going to just have to draft well and develop this defense and make some astute signings, make a, an inspired cheap trade or two, although not any of the big veteran trades, please. We've had enough of those. And that's the hand that you've been dealt with this draft class. And on that note, let's get into the week five quarterback review. Let's start with Will Levis. I am more confident than ever that he could easily be the number one overall pick next year. He is playing in the San Francisco offense. The offensive coordinator is, has come over from Kyle Shanahan's offensive staff. He is installing that kind of system. They had the Rams offensive coordinator as their offensive coordinator last year. Now they've got the San Fran system. And he's just well-drilled in a pro-style offense. He is battling adversity every single week behind a bad offensive line, just like these guys are going to face in the NFL. He has been sacked 18 times in five games, but he's still somehow, he's battling through it. He's, he's performing to a reasonable level despite all of that pressure and all of those sacks. He's making the reads at the line of scrimmage. He's going through progressions. You do see evidence on tape of him going to progression one, progression two, and then either checking it down, finding his third option. You just don't see that from many quarterbacks at this level. He's a fantastic athlete. He's got all of the traits. He's got a big arm. He can make plays with his legs. He can escape pressure. And he's got a great character. Teams are going to be looking at Levis, and they're going to see a combination of transferable skills and ability to settle into NFL life quickly because of his experience at Kentucky. And he has the upside to be really, really good. And unlike CJ Stroud and some of the others in this class, He's not being given his reads at the line of scrimmage by the coaches on the sideline holding up bits of card with funny pictures on them. He's not protected by five-star recruits throwing to five-star recruits with five-star recruits running the ball in the backfield. He is excelling in the SEC despite the lack of an amazing supporting cast. And I think teams are just going to be fighting to get to him, thinking he can start early and he can be our future. Against Ole Miss on Saturday, look, it wasn't a perfect, flawless performance. I thought Kentucky and especially Will Levis were unlucky. The bad protection led to two important sack fumbles. The kick returner, as he was running through, this is a one-score game. The kick returner's running through. He's going to score a touchdown. He's tripped up by a teammate, for crying out loud. There was a mixed, missed extra point. There was a, mix, a missed field goal. 
There was a hit on Levis, which was helmet to helmet, which should have been targeting, that wasn't even reviewed, which is incredible in college football because they review everything for targeting now. I thought he was really unlucky, but he showed some good plays. He drove his team down into range to win the game at the end. He had a, a little bit of a snafu at the end, whereby the potential game-winning touchdown, which was a fade in the red zone, He's just a bit too rushed. He saw the matchup that he wanted on the outside, 1v1. He wanted to throw that fade. He went for it too quickly. And his one of his other receivers was not lined up properly. It was a false start. And, you know, after that, the sack fumble happened immediately afterwards and the game was lost. But look, people can say what they want about Will Levis. He is the one, I believe, that the teams are going to be looking at and saying, this is the guy. This is the guy that we want to come in and lead our team. And whether it's the Panthers, the Lions, the Texans, the Giants, whoever, I think there's going to be a real fight for this guy. He could easily be the number one overall pick. If he's not, he's going to go very soon afterwards. I think if the Seahawks want him, they either need to be so bad they're going to pick first overall or they're going to have to be prepared to trade up. And I think that's something that they will consider, should consider, and will sound out whether it's possible or not. Who knows? I remember the Dolphins being really interested in Joe Burrow when they drafted Tua Tungavailoa, and sometimes it's just not possible to get up there. And that might be the case with Will Levis, but he is legit, he's the real deal, and I think he's going to go very, very early in the first round next year. What about CJ Stroud? He was really reckless against Rutgers. He was just off. Uh, his completion percentage was really bad. I've got his statistics here. I'm just going to dig them out because he was, he was really, really off in this game. He was 13 for 22 for 154 yards, two touchdowns and the interception. And if anybody has seen the interception, my word, it is terrible. It's a horrible interception thrown into triple coverage. And this is why I worry about Ohio State quarterbacks. He is told where to go with the ball based on the reads that the coaches make from the sideline and in the booth. And he has to go and execute what they tell him to. And if they tell him you've got to go and target this guy, and then it ends up being triple coverage, he's not capable to look at that and go, there's no way I'm throwing that ball. I'm going to progress and, and go to other options, which is what he's going to have to do in the NFL. He just threw it. He just threw the pass. And it was absolutely horrendous. Just an awful decision. And this is why I worry. Because, the, you know, you look at it, the Dwayne Haskinses, the Justin Fields, the Cardale Joneses, others, they have all of the physical talent in the world but their pro processing isn't anywhere near ready to come into the NFL. They have to learn from it, learn it from scratch. They probably have to go through major growing pains, which sometimes you can never get through because they're just in college. Everything is done for them. They have their hands held for them throughout their college uh, tenure. And they have great protection. They have studs up front, so they never face too much pressure. They're throwing to first round picks. They've got guys in the backfield who are like big time recruits. The complete environment for them is very, very easy. And then they come into the league and it's the total opposite. And that's why I think teams are going to look at Will Levis and say, I feel like I'm watching Will Levis playing in the SEC for Kentucky. And I kind of feel like I'm watching him playing in the NFL. This is what he's going to look like in the NFL. With CJ Stroud, I can say, look, he is throwing some of the most beautiful passes that you will ever see in college football. He has got amazing arm talent. He can do special things with his arm strength, with his accuracy. Uh, I like his throwing base. His technique is miles better than Justin Fields. But with this Ohio State system, he is not going to, you can't just sort of drop him into the NFL. He's probably going to need a red shirt year, but then off the back of that red shirt year, the only way to really learn is to get out there and make those reads to sort of know what an NFL defense is going to do for you, to know what those lanes are going to be like, because he's thrown into really tight lanes in college football that he won't be able to get away with 
when he gets to the NFL. And that's why I'm a little bit worried for Stroud. He is immensely talented. And don't get me wrong, someone is going to take him very, very early and bank on all of that upside working out and him being a major success story in the way that Justin Herbert has kind of been so far, although even that's telling off a little bit now. Uh, and some of these other physically impressive players have become. He's got that potential, but he's also got the potential to be just another Ohio State quarterback who can't deal with the adversity of the NFL because everything was just so easy for him in college. So that's the concert. Not a good performance against Rutgers for CJ Stroud. A little bit of doubt uh, placed on him off the back of that performance. He's got to be more accurate on the intermediate level. He's got to show signs that he can come off those triple coverage looks and go to other places, even if they're getting the, the cards or whatever it is that Ohio State do held up from turning him to go there. He's got to be able to show that. Bryce Young got an injury for Alabama this weekend against Arkansas. Um, and this is the concert. Alabama lists Bryce Young at six foot 194 pounds. It is well established by now that that is baloney, that that's not true. Um, Tom McShay told a story that I've heard a couple of times now that I think it was at the Pro Day or something that they had last year or this year. Bryce Young was there. He was measured. He's 5'10 and 185 pounds-ish. You know, that's basically what he is. Maybe 5'11 if we're being generous, if he wears high heels. Uh, you know, 5'10, 185 pounds. There aren't any quarterbacks in the NFL playing at that size. And he's going to take a pounding. At the NFL, he's not going to have the Bama benefits. He's not going to have that offensive line and those running backs and those receivers. He is going to get hit a lot more. And is his body going to be able to take the punishment? Because this was a bit of a run-of-the-mill he sort of scrambled out to the right-hand side, to the sideline. He lands on his shoulder and, and he's hurt. And then he's throwing it. He comes back out for the next series. He throws it and his arms limp. I mean, these, these are the concerns that you're going to have. Can he take the physical pounding that comes with being in the NFL at that size? That, that is just a legit concern. And here's another concern. We've seen it with Russell Wilson for years. When you are that height, you bail on the pocket a lot. You are not as willing to stand in the pocket like a Will Levis is. He's got pressure. He was doing this against uh, Ole Miss. Pressure's coming in your face. You stand tall. You just wait that split second for the route to develop. You throw it. You get hit. You throw it on target. You're tall. You're big. You're strong. You can stand in there, take that punishment, and deliver a great ball. Bryce Young can't do that because he's 5'10 and 185 pounds. So what happens? Any sense of pressure, he bails on the pocket. We have seen that. And look, I'm not saying he does it all the time. There are examples of him standing in the pocket. He did it against Georgia in the big games last year against them. He will stand in the pocket at times. But because he is that high, I'm afraid, he has also got a tendency to bail on the pocket when he doesn't need to. We saw that on the hit, which led to the injury. Uh, he bails on the pocket because there was a moderate blitz. And he senses that pressure too early and he goes. And when he had that horrible interception, I think it was against UL Monroe a couple of weeks ago, he, and there was no reason to lead the pocket. He did. He scrambled to the right-hand side and then just heaved it downfield. It was a horrible interception. And you kind of just stand there and go, why are you doing that? You know, why are you getting out of the pocket there? You've, you've no reason to. And look, Young's a good player, very talented, good arm for his size, accurate, uh, you know, very athletic and creative, and he can make things happen. But Teams are, I mean, I'm intrigued to see where he's going to end up going because he could easily go in the top 10. I think probably is the third or fourth quarterback taken because of the size. Uh, he could easily go a little bit later because teams are just thinking, I don't know how this guy's going to hold up. Because unlike Kyler Murray, he was 200 plus pounds, unlike Russell Wilson, was 200 plus pounds, Drew B Brees, 200 plus pounds. These shorter quarterbacks are usually quite sturdy, and he ain't and he's injured now. We'll see how if he misses any time or whether it's just one game. He was questioned, he was back out on the sideline. He never came back on against Arkansas, though. We'll see if he's going to be out for any length of time. 
Anthony Richardson. I can't quit Anthony Richardson. I just can't. Um, the guy has got everything to be special. And when I say special, I think his physical potential is he could be like a future NFL MVP. That's, that's the, the potential that he has. It is not all there yet, and I get that. And I think it's well established now that he has had some issues early in this season down to his lack of playing time and that he needs development. But the good is just so, so good. It's really hard not to say, hey, do you know what? He may need a, a red shirt year. He may need to do what Josh Allen did and come into the league and just take his lumps for a couple of years. Uh, if you get through that period like Josh Allen did, you could end up with one of the best players in the NFL off the back of it. That's just the reality with Anthony Richardson. And usually when you see people like Josh Allen doing the mistakes that he did at Wyoming, it, it, it's just that it's awful. You know, you, some of the interceptions he threw were disgusting at Wyoming. Some of his decision-making was poor. He always had a massive arm, but he didn't really make the most of it. Didn't really elevate Wyoming when he was there. And yeah, he went to the senior bowl and just looked like he'd been made in a factory. Uh, but the makers, the ideal quarterback. Here you go. Here's a Josh Allen. With Anthony Richardson, you are seeing some processing. You are seeing some good throws. You are seeing some, some work within a pro-style offense with a lot of misdirection, a lot of motion. So he, it's not as if it's completely awful with Anthony Richardson. It's just that when it, it got bad against uh, Kentucky and against South Florida, it got really bad. But that's just an experience thing more than anything else. You can work on experience. You can gain experience. You can't gain amazing talent. And that's what he has. Uh, I, I watched bits of the Eastern Washington game. I've seen nearly every throw that he's played in this game. I think I may have seen every throw, actually. I managed to find them all on YouTube because this game was played on Sunday. It was rearranged because of the uh, Hurricane Ian, I think. And on Florida's first offensive snap, Richardson just throws it from his own 18-yard line, 18-yard line with minimal effort. It reaches the receiver at EW's 25-yard line. I mean, that is freakishly easy. I mean, he didn't, he's, he's not putting his arm into that throw. He's not really sort of rocketing it out to get it deep downfield. It was just a, it was just like a little pop pass for him. He just sort of launched it downfield. Great big touchdown play to start the game. First offensive snap, just flashed that physical talent. On the second offensive snap, there's only two snaps in. He scrambles, he's dodging and weaving through defenders. 45-yard run. Later on, he's, he's throwing an incredible pass to the right sideline. He's got a defender clinging onto his ankles, desperate to bring him down for a sack. Somehow he stays on his feet because he's so strong, strong as an ox, and he just arms it out to the sideline with velocity and accuracy for a great completion. And then a second touchdown he had, beautiful loft on the pass, great touch, following play action, drops it in over the defender, just fantastic. Now, look, he had a, an interception similar to CJ Stroud's. I think they called it like triple or quadruple coverage or something. It wasn't. He, he was very deliberately targeting one receiver who was well covered, but it was basically 1v1. But it's just that there were other defenders in the vicinity and he underthrows it. I think he got a bit lazy. I think the score was 35 3 at the time. Um, and it's a lazy throw. But look, nobody's saying that Anthony Richardson's going to come into the NFL and be the finished article. I, I think if you embrace what he is, if he declares, because he may not declare given the, the struggles he's had early in this season, if you understand that he's just got special upside and with a bit of time and the right kind of coaching, he could be phenomenal, then you could end up with an absolute superstar in your hands. And the more I kind of look at this, I mean, the Seahawks at two and two now and looking as if they might be able to win some of these games against bad teams, but are going to get found out against some of the better teams down the road. 
if the Seahawks end up picking between eight and 12, let's say, rather than the top three, if they're picking eight to 12, well, then that puts you in the range where you could perhaps get an Anthony Richardson. If the Levis and Stroud and Young go first, then if you're eight to 12, Anthony Richardson is gettable and it would be less to move up and get him. And then if you wanted to keep Geno Smith next year and then stash Anthony Richardson behind him and just bring him along slowly, that wouldn't be a bad idea. It would not be a bad idea at all. I mean, that's what the Bills did, essentially. You know, Josh Allen fell to, I think, number eight. They traded up from, I think, number 12 or something like that kind of range to go and get their guy. It wasn't an expensive trade up, but they made their move. And I think they had somebody on the roster to sort of be the go-between, but they went with Josh Allen. So that's that's a plan that makes sense for me. I don't know if he's definitely going to declare or not. Well, we've not got any information on that. But he's just such a physically impressive guy. I can't say anything more than I have, really. An exciting, exciting player. He's just going to bring it all together. Uh, One of the players that I watched this weekend was Max Duggan. TCU destroyed Oklahoma, who looked terrible. I'm struggling to work out what Max Duggan is. He's playing well, but at the start of the season, he lost his job at TCU. He's only starting because this other quarterback injured his knee in the opening game. And yet I'm sort of seeing him touted as a potential high draft pick now. I I don't know. I I don't know what I see from him because athletically, there's a lot to like. He had a strong run for a 67-yard touchdown. Really impressive. He's not an elusive guy, but, you know, when he gets those legs pumping, he can really move in a straight line. Um, He's been very productive. His first touchdown for TCU against Oklahoma was a duck. He just kind of throws it too high, wobbles in the air, horrible spiral. Hangs in the air for an age. Receiver just goes and tracks it better than the defender, completes the catch. I think at the next level, it gets battered down or picked off. But it it was a touchdown. You know, his second score was a busted coverage. Receiver stood downfield on his own, like a punt. Um, You know, it's just, it's hard to work out what he is. And, you know, you see some, you see some decent throws. You also see big coverage busts, wide open offense. You know, I can't get a feel for his upside. And, you know, some of these touchdowns are just classic Big 12 bad defense, which we've become accustomed to seeing in the Seahawks game so far. I'm going to continue to monitor Max Duggan, but, you know, people keep asking me, what about Max Duggan? What about Cam Ward? What about Michael Penix Jr.? I'm going to talk about in a second. Listen, it's, it really comes down to me. Because of Tyler Van Dyke's situation, let's see if he can rebound. I don't know if he's going to start next week for Miami. They didn't play this weekend. I don't know what's going to happen with him. I think he's better off transferring. Go go to Kentucky, Tyler Van Dyke. Go and replace Will Levis next year in the SEC with my advice to him. But, you know, you have got Levis, Stroud, Young, Richardson. They're the four, I think, that potentially going round one. I don't think there's anybody else. And all these other guys, I think if you're pinning your hopes on them being the, the future of your franchise, it's probably a little bit of a stretch. Even guys like Jaron Hall, who I really rate, I'm going to come on to him as well, I don't know. that It's a bit more kind of hit and hope with them. And, I, and I, for me, you've got to go and get your guys. I mentioned at the start of this uh, podcast. Uh, right, Michael Penix Jr. versus uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. That was a game that I was really looking forward to watching. Uh, it was last Friday night, wasn't it? Um, I think it, it really sort of offered a reality check on Michael Penix Jr. The hype was getting too much with him. And Dorian Thompson-Robinson was very underrated. And I've been saying that for a long, long time. On Penix, you know, his system is going to produce numbers. He went to Washington because he's worked with Kalen DeBoer in Indiana. He knows the offense. 
it's wide open, it's multifaceted, it's it's really well crafted. It does a lot of the heavy lifting for the quarterbacks. It's why Jake Hayner was able to throw for 4,000 plus yards last year at Fresno State. And, you know, whenever DeBoer's there, they're going to have a great offense in Washington. They're going to have a productive offense. The key for them is to put a defense together to complement it. And they haven't got that at the moment. Um, when I was sort of watching Penix Jr., you know, there's, first of all, he, he hadn't been sacked until I think the second quarter of this game against UCLA. That's so I'm sort of sat there watching this. We're five games in um, to, to his season. And he gets his first sack. And I'm sat there thinking, Will Levis has had 18 sacks in five games. This guy's had one sack in five. Incredible. And it just goes to show that the environment he's in and the, the good job that they're doing protecting him, getting the ball out quickly. But it also shows that he's not facing the same adversity that Will Levis is. And, and that's just the way it is. Um, the, the scheme requires very little from its quarterbacks so than to execute a lot of one-read stuff. Everything's set up for him. Like I was saying with Stroud earlier, he receives instructions from the sideline. They have those funky little cards with the images on that, that tell him what he's got to do, what the protections are, everything. It, it does all of the heavy lifting for him, holds his hand. And, you know, really, he's just got to sort of throw the ball to where it's got to go. Now, he does have second reads sometimes. You know, there was a touchdown in this game where he comes off his intended target, goes to a wide open receiver in the end zone. That's all really good. But more often than not, it's a case of snap, do what you're told to do, and the offense will sort things out. And that's where things can go wrong. You know, he threw two horrible interceptions in this game as a consequence of not being able to come off those kind of throws. The first came with eight minutes, eight seconds left in the second quarter, stares down his intended target, telegraphs the, the play. There's a little bit of pressure there. He can't step into his throw, so he's flat-footed on release. Nothing on the throw. It's an easy takeaway. And then off the back of that, you know, DTR throws a touchdown for UCLA, which just rubs salt into the room on the very next play. His second interception again happens when he's staring down his intended target. The defender, I think, was a linebacker. He's watching him all the way. He's watching his eyes. All he has to do is step in front of a slightly late throw. And it's telegraphed. It's an easy interception. And, you know, it, it, these are the issues. I mean, there was another throw. And Andre Ware, who announced that he was, Michael Penix was his choice for the Heisman, the early season Heisman. Um, had a bit of egg in his face during this game. I mean, he, he, he was when he was commentating, he congratulated Penix Jr. for throwing it into triple coverage because he completed the pass. But this just highlights the problem for me. If the scheme tells Penix Jr. to go to the receiver, he is going to go there, even if it's triple coverage, and he's going to try and make that throw. Now, he did make that throw. But at the next level, you've got to come off that throw. You've got to look at three triple coverage, three defenders in there, and you've got to come off that and go somewhere else. You know, it's it's not a positive thing that he threw into triple coverage and just happened to complete that pass. So these are some of the issues that I've got. I think I thought he looked mostly unspectacular apart from the interceptions. And, you know, there were a lot of inaccurate passes to go with an icy thrown balls. His throwing motion's a little bit elongated. He comes down with his arm to come up. He's not particularly elusive or dynamic. And he's got a big his injury history at, at Indiana. And, and that's going to be a red flag as well. So, look, I know that people are excited by... Penix Jr. And, and good for them. And I'm not a Washington fan. I don't follow any college team. I have been to see the Huskies play a few times, but look, I, I'm glad that they've got a quarterback that can make this offense function. I'm glad that this season's going to be a bit more fun than it, is, than it has been maybe the last couple of years at least. But I do not see Michael Penix Jr. as somebody that I'm going to be talking up as a, as a high draft pick. It, it, for me, it's just not going to happen. That hype has to, to die down a little bit. Thompson Robinson, you know, he also receives some of the same benefits. His scheme doesn't demand too much of him. It does a lot of the heavy lifting. He doesn't need to progress through numerous reads. But, 
You know, when you have got Zach Charbonnet at running back and Jake Bobo, who just had a, a knack of getting open in this game, great size and speed combo there, very athletic and agile. I bet he tested one of the short shuttle. I thought Jake Bobo looked great. Um, it certainly helps, but he just executed better than Penix Jr. You know, when the key conversions were needed to be delivered, he delivered them. He was accurate. He was decisive. He didn't give Washington a sniff of a turnover. He's much more of a threat as a runner because he's in incredibly athletic. He had this one electrifying hurdle over the defender. You could hear it lifted the crowd, lifted the teammates. And there's just something to really like about him. And I've liked him for a long time. I was talking about last season. And I appreciate he's not big. He's not physically imposing. He's not got a huge arm. Um, his stock is going to be somewhat limited as a consequence for that. Uh, and I think he's, you know, you're probably looking at a guy who could maybe go in round four or round five. But I just think he's got something. He's got a bit of playmaking quality that many of the other players who get a lot more publicity simply don't have. And if you're not sold on that, then go and check out his 68-yard touchdown scramble against Bowling Green. You'll see that he has got some special qualities. And I think he's a player who maybe he's going to be like Tyler Huntley at Baltimore. Maybe he goes somewhere as a late-round pick or a day early day three pick, is a backup, gets his chance when somebody else gets injured and bombs away. You know, he ends up actually sticking and looking pretty good and maybe getting an opportunity with another team, even if it's not with the team he originally is drafted by. So I think DTR has got a lot of potential and he is pretty underrated. The final player I want to talk about, Jaron Hall. I didn't think he was particularly good against Utah State, but I thought BYU was sloppy throughout. Maybe they took their eye off the ball a little bit in this game. It was Jaron Hall's worst performance of the season. He, he just looked off. He just looked off for the most part. Wasn't particularly impressive and you know, that was disappointing for me. I wanted to see him really sort of take it to, 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 to Utah State, really have that big performance and, and go after it. And uh, he didn't. You know, I, as I was sort of making my notes, I was thinking, yeah, OK, 1727, 274 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Looks like a really good stat line. But, you know, his second drive contained an awful dropped interception. He's flat footed on the throw. It's inaccurate. He lobbed it straight to a defender. Would have been a costly turnover deep in his own half. He's very lucky to escape that ugly pick. Uh, the first three drives ended in a punt after an easy touchdown score to start the game. So they have an easy touchdown, three straight punts. He took an avoidable sack uh, on a couple of occasions. Um, you know, he, he, he also had some issues. There was a, a horrible drop pass in the end zone that took a score off the, off the board for BYU, which is a shame. Um, you could hear the crowd grumbling and groaning a little bit about the performance of the team, but you know they regroup after halftime. He shows great ball placement on a 14-yard throw to the front right corner of the end zone, perfectly thrown, gives the receiver every chance to grab a touchdown. That's the kind of thing you want to see. But even then on the next drive, he could have had another turnover. He leads his receiver too much on a throw, almost got him hammered by a lurking defender, past tips off his fingertips, and he's fortunate that he's caught by another receiver rather than a defensive back uh, who was in the vicinity. It was a complete fluke completion. So, you know, I like Jaron Hall, but I wasn't wowed with this game. I was underwhelmed. Uh, it's the least impressed I've been by him this season. BYU played Notre Dame next. Then they've got Arkansas. This is a great opportunity to make a bigger statement than he did here and actually look really impressive and maybe boost his stocks. I think that he's a solid day two pick with what he's shown so far this year. But from a Seahawks perspective, you know, I still want to go. I want to shoot for the stars. You know, a Levis, I'm, I'm happy to take a Stroud and maybe redshirt him. I'm not against drafting Bryce Young, although I'd rather have a bigger... I just want a different quarterback, I think. I just don't want to run the injury risk. I don't want that shorter guy again. I'd like somebody who is 
statuesque and just like comes in there and, and just comes in and throws um, from, from like a, a, a stronger, physically more imposing position in the pocket who can step up and throw when they're going to get hit. And look, if, if it's Geno Smith for next year as well, remember he's on a one-year contract. He could be really expensive next year. And he sort of delayed signing with Seattle this year, even though he was going to be the anointed starter because he wanted a bit more money. So who knows what he's going to be like if this continues about negotiating a new contract next year. He might be too expensive. You might have to go with Drew Locke or somebody else just because he'll price himself out. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that. But if you do stick with Geno Smith next year and you want to redshirt somebody, you know, I'd, I still think Anthony Richardson would be a great choice for that. But if you want to move on, then maybe move up and get Will Levis. But that's where we're at. That's, that's my quarterback review for week five. I want to continue watching these guys. If you enjoy these reviews, let me know what you think of the comment section. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Let's get those subscriptions up. It's going up very slowly, but let's get there get it further up um, in the next few weeks. Make sure you like the video as well. That helps. SeahawksDraftBlog.com for more analysis. Make sure you check out the website as well. Until next time, bye for now.